So Chris, I've been meaning to ask you, what room are you sitting in right now? What room are you recording in? Well, Christina, I record in my closet. It's the only time I ever go back into the closet. (laughs) I see why you wanted to wait for me to hear your response to that (laughs) rather than practice it. (laughs) But well, I, what I realize is, yeah, I, I, we've only met virtually and right. I don't have any sense geographically other than you're in Florida. I have no geographic in, sense of where you physically uh, are. Columbus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. beautiful Ohio. But yeah, it's, it's just a couple of other ways of how we get to know one another. Exactly. Because that's how we got here. It sure is, Chris. We got here with Christina Best and Christopher McClellan. Brought to you by Anthem. Well, welcome to another episode of How We Got Here, a new podcast from caregiving.com and the Whole Care Network that enriches the understanding of what it means to give and receive care. I'm Christopher McClellan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Christina Bess. Christina, would you like to have the honor of welcoming and introducing our special guest today? I would love to, Chris. Thanks. So today we are speaking to Dr. Shoshana Ungerleider. Shoshana is the founder of endwellproject.org, a practicing internist at Crossover Health in San Francisco, a writer and a leading voice in healthcare who regularly appears as a medical contributor on CNN, MSNBC, CBS News. She also has bylines in Time, Vox, the San Francisco Chronicle, and many, many others. She executive produced two Oscar-nominated Netflix films, Extremis and Endgame. And her most recent film, Robin's Wish, is a biographical documentary about the final years of actor and comedian Robin Williams. Well, this is exciting. What a resume. Oh, goodness gracious, Saint Ignatius. This is quite <laughs> exciting. So, but Christina, tell me, that didn't up until recently, didn't you work with Sushana at the Enwell Project? I did, Chris. Yeah, I'd love to tell you a little bit more and then uh, allow our guest to chime in since this is her episode. (laughs) But in brief, for the last three years, I was the social media manager at Enwell. And it was such a pleasure to not only work with Shoshana, but to help contribute to the vision and the movement of helping people understand end-of-life issues and find the, the words to talk about these hard conversations. So it was just such a privilege to be able to do my part in contributing to that. So I'll, I'll keep it at that. And uh, yeah, enough about me. Well, let Shoshana chime in. So Shoshana, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Christopher and, and Christina. It's really a pleasure to be with you. And I just want to say, you know, Christina has moved on to bigger and better things from, from Endwell, but was the most uh, amazing person to get to work with and built 
our uh, our social media presence and really, you know, our, our presence across the world in such an amazing way over the last three years. And so I just have to give her a special shout out and, and thank you for that. Well, thanks, Shoshana. I couldn't have done it without your belief in me and uh, the vision of what we could grow together. So thank you. Well, this is just an exciting opportunity to visit with you today, Shoshana. But I, I, I personally believe that there's no greater honor bestowed on any one of us than to be present at the time when life transitions. So I think what you're doing is just spectacular. And I'm looking forward to learning more about the Unwell Project. But we have to ask, as we start out with all our guests, so Shoshana, how, how did we get here? How did, how did you get here to this point in your life? When I get asked that question, I always am like, well, how long do I have? Because uh, it's a bit <laughs> of a convoluted good. story, as, as these often are. Mm-hmm. But I guess I will start with my medical training. And I thought in medical school that I wanted to be a cardiologist. I loved doing, uh, you know, hands-on procedures and, and thought that helping people with cardiac issues would be something that w- would be my life's work. And it wasn't until my first few months of being a brand new doctor, so being a medical intern, where I was spending my required rotations in the intensive care unit where the sickest patients are. And I found myself sort of confused in that once I could wrap my head around, you know, moment to moment, what was going on from the medical perspective, I realized that so many of my patients were really suffering in their final uh, days and weeks and moments of life. And I realized that first and foremost, the default pathway for all patients in the United States is to receive very aggressive, very invasive treatment at the end of life. (laughs) really no matter how old you are and no matter how sick you are at baseline. And sometimes, from my perspective, even if it won't you know, help you, it's just right. this trajectory that people are on. And there's, there's a number of reasons for this. But um, unless you are able to opt out, uh, or, or meaning if you're able to speak for yourself, or you have a family member or an advocate who, who's there and, and says, this is my mom, this is my brother, this is my uncle. They, they wouldn't have wanted this, or this is what good care looks like for them. You will end up on this sort of default pathway. And I, I think that uh, a lot of people don't realize that unless they've encountered, worked in healthcare or encountered it themselves. And so that sort of didn't sit well with me because it turns out that when asked, right, if we take the time to sit and talk with our patients and their families and other caregivers, many of them wouldn't opt for this experience. Exactly. And so I sort of started thinking about, you know, what does that mean and why is it this way, both within the healthcare system and then for society at large. And of course, was very busy as a medical resident and didn't have a lot of time until I finished residency to think hard about where are the gaps in the way that medical students and residents are trained in how to talk to patients or rather right. how they are not trained because we don't incentivize that uh, within our healthcare system. And so it doesn't uh, really exist in a robust way throughout medical education 
a culture. And then similarly, you know, we have a lot of societal taboos around talking about serious illness and the end of life, right? And so if people aren't thinking about it, uh, reflecting on it for themselves, talking about it with the people that they love, they're definitely not planning for it. And so what we end up with is people who haven't really considered what their goals and values might look like if they are to face a serious illness and be at the end of life. And so those are really hard conversations to have in an acute crisis moment when somebody lands in the ICU or in the emergency room and and to broach those topics with a complete stranger being your your physician typically um, in a, in a hospital setting, and so there's so many you know ways that you can think about problem solving when we talk about this stuff. But what occurred to me is that we really should be thinking about how to transform serious illness and the end of life into something more human centered, and we need more human beings <laughs> brought into this conversation. This is not a medical issue alone to be solved. This really is part of the human journey. And uh, we need people from all walks of life talking about this and thinking about it and then coming up with solutions to improve the experience for everyone. It's almost like in a perfect world, if we could combine the, the social aspect of, uh, of conversations, especially in and around life and end of life with, with the medical aspect of it, instead of them being separate, then it, it, it could make just a, a very difficult conversation, just a little bit easier with families. Absolutely. And I, and I think when we artificially, you know, create these silos around thinking about these issues, that that's how we end up with these problems, right? So the more that I thought about this as a very human issue, the more that I realized that we, we have to get out of our traditional spheres right. of influence and yes. are, you know, if, if you're a professional working in this space, thinking much more broadly about what it means to come up with, with new solutions beyond just what you do day to day. And so I started EndWell really as a conference to bring people from diverse disciplines together to talk about, again, what are the problems? How should we think about them? And then how can we move forward and come up with solutions? And so back in 2017, we we invited folks from the design world, from the tech world, from venture capital and other funding sources, artists and educators and the media and patients and caregivers and policy folks. And of course, people in healthcare, because that's a, that's a, a huge part of it. Sure. But it's not the only part of it, right? And so Endwell started as like a TED style conference that had never been done before in this way. And we weren't sure if anyone would show up that first year. We sort of got funny looks from people when we said what we had set out to do. And we sold out three months in advance and had hundreds of people on the waiting list to attend, much to our surprise. And so we realized there was something there that was going to be, you know, hopefully helpful and, and meaningful for people. And so we've just sort of grown from there and now put on, you know, a big annual event with thousands and thousands of people who tune in either virtually or in person and have tens of millions of people who see our content across social media and on our website. Thank you, Christina. (laughs) (laughs) Every year. And so it's really grown very organically into not only a convening of like-minded people from different backgrounds, but also a, a media platform and a way to connect people who otherwise wouldn't know one another in the space. I think what's always struck me about the vision for Endwell is the fact that it's interdisciplinary in nature. 
Um, it is about the human experience and the way that serious illness, grief, caregiving, end of life, how all of those things tie into every part of a, a single life experience. Yeah. And I think that that's what sets us apart, you know, from other entities out there who are doing wonderful work to try to, to make a difference, but they all tend to be, you know, very much siloed in, in how they think about problem solving. Not to say that that's the wrong way to do things, but from my perspective, the elements of sort of inclusivity and the diversity of thought that come from Endwell, I'm very proud of. And I think that that's the way forward to go from thought to action in terms of coming up with lasting solutions to make the experience better for everybody, whether it's a new direct-to-consumer product, whether it's new services, whether it's new systems in, in ways that we think about healthcare delivery or community health. And so I, there's just, it's such a big problem, I think, to wrap your head around that it takes sort of a, a very cross-disciplinary approach to think about creating a future where ending well really becomes a measure of living well, which is the vision for our organization. Oh, goodness, that <laughs> ending well and living well, those two definitely go together. I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned it. But we are often afraid of having these conversations. But when we can share our stories, and one of the reasons why we want to do these podcasts is so that we can get the stories out there. That's where people really connect and, and find that information and referral that they, that they need us before they're in the crisis. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, and I agree that storytelling is a very powerful and compelling way for people to not only like reflect on their own lives and how this you know, set of issues is important to them, but then to really draw more people into the conversation. We have at our, at our events what we call our everyday heroes. So people who are doing the work on the ground, who are not well known by name, but are, you know, incredible human beings with, with important stories to share. And then people who are, you know, well-known researchers in the fields of say palliative care or, you know, new therapeutics around various illnesses who come in and talk about their experiences. We've had people like the head of, uh, of behavioral science at Google speak at Endwell before the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement came and spoke about her personal experience, not only with movement building, social movement building, which is a lot of what we think about in terms of Endwell, but really her connection to the work was that her mother had actually very recently died in mm -hmm. hospice and how that was a transformative experience for her. And then we have people who are a-list celebrities come and, and speak on stage. This past year, Taraji P. Henson spoke about mm -hmm. mental health disparities in, in communities of color. Tim McGraw, the country singer, spoke in 2019 about being a caregiver and the importance of early palliative care. So the right. more I think that we can normalize these topics, these hard conversations, and really create space for people to not only think about them for their own in their own lives, but also like say, hey, my my favorite singer or my favorite actor is on TV talking about this really hard subject. I think maybe I can do that, or right. opens the door to new conversations for people and, and their families, which is what this is all about. Because when you think about it, caregiving is the great equalizer. There's no boundaries. 
caregiving impacts everybody, no matter what your economic setting, your orientation or your gender. Caregiving impacts everybody. And, And through those common stories, we all tend to learn not only a little bit about each other, that we have more in common than we ever would have thought about. Absolutely. Caregiving for sure is such a a unifying conversation. And we've seen that crack wide open in terms of the pandemic with tens of millions more new caregivers stepping up and having to not only care for maybe young children at home, but also, you know, older adult relatives. The conversation around caregiving is, is one that I think definitely isn't happening enough from a policy perspective, thinking about it at a societal level from community health. I actually think that caregivers are sort of the backbone of our healthcare system, (laughs) if you think about it. Boy, do we connect because I I say that all the time. My analogy is if every caregiver went on strike just for one day and ended up taking their care partner, uh, I'll use that generic term, to an adult daycare center or an emergency room or urgent care, you being a physician, you would know that the healthcare system would collapse. That's absolutely right. I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah. I think the thing that's, as someone who's worked with you, I think that the thing that's always struck me is just how uh, in, intensely focused you are and, and how you give your all to everything that you do. You know, you're a doctor, a film producer, medical expert on TV, nonprofit founder. You wear all these different hats. And, you're, and with that, you're helping influence social change and public perception around a variety of topic areas, but particularly end of life. So I'm just curious, first and foremost, what's your secret? How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening. I'm listening because I want to know. Gosh, you know, I I think that for me, going to medical school and having a pretty traditional path of education and then graduate, you know, education I always thought that my future was pretty laid out ahead of me. I always knew what which test was coming next, which certification was happening, what I would be doing next year in terms of of schooling or or my profession. And when I finished residency, I was honestly so burned out. To tell you the truth, it, it is hard. Anyone who says that that going to medical school and and doing clinical training is no big deal. They're lying or either that or they're a complete genius because that's <laughs> clearly not me. It was really, really hard. And it was sort of a shock to me, to my system to finish uh, residency training and say, well, what do I actually want to do? And I took a little bit of time, a few months between my board exams and starting a new job. And I, and I said, well, clinical medicine, you know, I think is the path that forward, at least what I was planning on doing. But there are so many other things, so many other problems that I'm interested in thinking about and and solving. And obviously, I shared about, you know, my, me feeling very committed to to transforming the end of life experience, and lifting up the field of of palliative care, which is a team based approach to medical care for people, you know, and their families facing serious illness that focuses on quality of life and is ideally used years upstream from the end of life. And so it has really been about being open to possibilities and throwing out that notion that your future is always set and you have to stay on a specific path. You know, my husband works in technology and is the CEO of a tech company and didn't follow a traditional path of education through, you know, undergrad and then MBA and then working as a consultant or something. 
he really, you know, forged his own way. And I was inspired by him to say, what can I do that'll make an impact? And do I have to have a master's degree in something to be able to start? And the answer to that is no, that is one path forward is, is more education. But for me, doing new and different things. It was about, I think, taking a chance, knowing that, you know, I could have you know, f- fallen flat on my face I and mean, that's okay. And I definitely have, <laughs> um, but you learn from those experiences. So all, all that to say, I think just being open to opportunities for me has been really, and also of course, being at the right place, you know, at the right time. I think a lot of it has been luck as well. I wouldn't have been involved in film if it weren't for a friend of mine who happened to tell me that they were filming a a short documentary in the ICU about end of life. And then I got connected to the director. So it's just sort of how life unfolds sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then I also think I'm inherently a workaholic, which I would not uh, (laughs) recommend, you know, to most people. I think, you know, finding finding balance, right, in your life is so important. Both my husband and I just work all the time. And so while, yes, you can be very productive if you work all the time, it's not, uh, it's not always healthy. And so I think people sort of have to think about balance in life and, and what matters most to them. And I, I, I think that in a few years, I'll probably take a long period of time off. You deserve and, it. <laughs> uh, and regroup. <laughs> so do I have to consult with the doctor on the importance of self-care? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, doctors are the worst at self-care. <laughs> you know, it's so it's so true. And part of it is in medicine, we just don't during training, we don't we don't, you don't value get a break. Goodness. You don't get a break and it's not something that's talked about. I mean, that's changing slowly because we're seeing so much professional burnout from clinicians, which is problematic for a lot of reasons, not only for their own health, but for the health of our patients and and having enough doctors to go around if people are quitting the fields of medicine. So anyway, all that to say, you know, I'm I'm a huge proponent of self-care in the ways that that is unfolds for people. And I obviously need to take my own advice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shoshana, this is a perfect time for us to take just a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about all your films. That's that's another exciting point that we really haven't dived into too much. But uh, uh, Christina, is it okay we take our break here? I need to consult Yes, I have one follow-up question when we come Uh, back. Oh, you have one? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then we'll talk about the films. (laughs) Well, you're listening to How We Got Here, and we'll be right back. I went out on a, sometimes on Fridays, they go out and make visits with with some of our members, just kind of try to stay connected. And I was with a music therapist in an inpatient setting with a patient and her son. And the music therapist came in and said, what would you like me to to, to play? A woman in her 90s, African-American woman. And she said, Johnny Cash, which is not what I would have expected. And so the music therapist played just, excellent rendition of uh, Johnny Cash song. I think it was uh, Did I Walk the Line? I don't know. It was so. It was, it was a good one. Play that song. And then the son next to me, we, we were talking and he mentioned that um, his mom was a was an elder in the, the church, had been very active. And so I mentioned that to the music therapist because I thought it might be relevant. And so she started playing a, a, a hymn and I still remember it's called All Other Ground is Sinking Sand, I think. And I'm Jewish, so I don't know hymns, those hymns. So she started to play that and the patient started singing along and she hadn't really been responsive and, and all that much 
singing along. And then she looked at me and she said, why aren't you singing? And I said, well, because I'm, I'm the CEO and, you know, I don't sing. And she was like, I want you to sing with me. So I did. I made, I made up some words and I, I, I pretended to sing along. And then I actually did sing along once I caught on. And then I left and the music therapist called me literally five minutes later and said she just died. And it was amazing to me that I, I had had a, a bit part in that very, very last act. Please join us for the next bonus episode of How We Got Here featuring Edo Bannock, president and CEO of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Okay, Christina, All right. we're back. How do you like that? Wow. It's like we didn't even take a break. <laughs> well, that's the magic of technology. It sure is. And you have a follow-up question. I didn't forget. I do. Yeah. So Shoshana, thanks for sharing all of that. As I said, I really just wanted, I've been wanting to pick your brain on on that, like how you just stay so committed uh, to everything that you're doing and involved in. But I think at the end there, you were touching on stress, burnout, and with that, the flip side being resilience. And I've been thinking a lot about that with mental health being kind of at the forefront of everyone's minds right now through the pandemic. And I'm just curious if you have any words of wisdom or, or anything you've learned from your medical training um, or through the work that you're doing, any advice you could give to anyone who's listening as far as finding inner strength uh, and resilience through all of this. Oh my goodness. We could talk for hours about this. Um, it's such an important topic and I think we're living through such a unique time right now such that so many people are struggling in various ways. Absolutely caregivers, frontline healthcare workers are having probably for, for many of them the hardest times, you know, in their in their whole lives. And so I, I think first and foremost, we're hearing this uh, a lot, this phrase, but it's okay to not be okay. Exactly. Knowing full well that that is for a lot of us just temporary and that to recognize that, again, this is a, a, a very hard time, but it will not be forever and that there are resources, whether it be friends and family or other more you know formal organizations, places to go for help. And so I think that's number one. And number two, for me, just from my own personal experience, falling back on the things, uh, as, as we talked about earlier, Christopher, around self-care that are so important for me. So a daily meditation practice has really been so grounding during this mm -hmm. time and nurturing for me. And then I am somebody that really gets a lot out of daily exercise. So getting to be at home a lot more, I'm... <laughs> getting time on the Peloton. Uh, I'm say, I've seen those Peloton selfies. <laughs> it's the best, the best ever. But any form of exercise, right, is, is important for health reasons throughout your whole life. But especially now in terms of stress reduction, boosting the neurotransmitters in, in the brain to sort of help balance out, for me, has been just so incredibly important. And then I would say number three, connecting more than ever with family. I'm already pretty close to, to my family. I have a sister with, with two young children and then aunts and uncles that I'm close with and cousins. But really spending the time, now that we have the time, to, to call people right. and over Zoom, see each other's faces. It's just been really, really helpful to get through this challenging time of uncertainty. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, very well said. Goodness. And, and good 
well, good advice for all of us to follow, just to take better care of ourselves. Goodness. Yeah. I was just very thought provoking here about my own self-care. So <laughs> it's good. <laughs> but you kind of touched on it a little bit in our first segment, uh, Shoshana, but tell us about the films. Uh, you, you, and we know how, you, how you've got involved, but I'll just let you go through it yourself. And and I'm sure we'll have questions as we move through, but I, I'm, I'm real intrigued by this part of your uh, your work. Yeah, so the first film project that I got involved with was Extremis, which is a short documentary. Um, we were the first short doc that Netflix ever bought. And I was really only involved in that particular film on the funding side and then the strategy around the educational curriculum that, that we built. And, and that film is about end-of-life decision-making in the intensive care unit. And as I mentioned, that was really why I got interested in, in this subject and set me on my current path in life. And so I did not, I do not have a background in film. As I said, by accident, got connected to an amazing director, Dan Krauss, and a wonderful friend in Dr. Jessica Zitter, who I know you, I think you both know. If you haven't had her on this podcast, you definitely should. We -hmm. did. We did. Oh, good. Yes. And through through getting involved in that particular project and, and with how well the, the film did, right? It, Netflix bought it and then it was nominated for an Academy Award. It showed me that the, the, the power of, of media, of, of film in particular, in shedding light on some of these hard subjects and telling stories that really hopefully will empower people to be able to make the best possible decisions for themselves and their loved ones in the moments when it really matters. And uh, I never, you know, dreamed that the film would do as well as it did. And I definitely don't take credit for any of the the creative work uh, in that particular project. That was all the, the film team. But in terms of continuing to be involved in film, a few years later, a, a completely different team of filmmakers came to me and said, hey, you know, we're thinking of, of this short documentary again on, on hospice and talking about also palliative care and the conversations that take place between clinicians and then families who are facing serious illness. And they were shooting it in San Francisco, of course, where I live. I said, well, I, you know, I, I trust these filmmakers. They're amazing people. BJ Miller is in the film, who's a dear friend. And so got involved in that project earlier on and then helped around executive producing and then the strategy around educational curriculum, which I think is a, a really important thing to mention and that very very much so. These projects were not just created for the sake of making good art or doing films for film's sake, from my perspective at least, what why I'm involved. They really are a tool for education, not only for medical students and and residents and other clinicians, but society at large, right? So we spent a whole lot of time over a year doing an impact campaign. So, so getting mm-hmm. this film out to community centers, to churches, to synagogues, and and getting it shown alongside a, a teaching guide so that it could help encourage conversations about these subjects. And so that film also was bought by Netflix and then nominated for an Academy Award, which further solidified for me the fact that even though these really are hard films to watch and and tough conversations, no matter if you're a professional at them or not, that there is an appetite for this. And there's there's a desire to engage in these kinds of conversations, you know, in our society. And so the third film project also came about uh, unexpectedly. And that's, it was a different kind of a film, a feature length documentary 
called Robin's Wish. I love Robin Williams. I was always a, a big fan throughout my life. He was an amazing force in the world. And this particular film looks at his final years of life and the fact that he didn't know that he had Lewy body dementia or Lewy body disease and really, really suffered in a number of ways and eventually took his own life. And, and it wasn't until, you know, six months later or so post-mortem when, when they did an autopsy that they realized what, you know, he was suffering with. And it was sad to me as a physician that he lived only a you know, handful of miles away from the foremost expert in the world on Lewy body disease, but because he wasn't ever referred, right. there wasn't the awareness that there needs to be about this about this disease, that he didn't get the right care, the right diagnosis. Um, not that there's treatment, right, for it, but there are ways to support people through the process. So that particular film really is, is, is a little different um, than the other two, but I think hopefully is, is helpful in, in rewriting his legacy. So... I don't know if I don't know if I'll continue to be part of uh, of film projects going forward, but I, I think they can be a really powerful tool. I might have one I'll talk to you about. <laughs> so, <laughs> great. And being able to sh- tell the stories through film, it, it really it it does help people who are. I want to make sure I articulate this properly. Who are kind of on the fence about having these conversations, end of life cam- conversations with their loved ones, looking at other opportunities for diagnosis, stepping, uh, stepping outside you know, their comfort zone and trying to, I guess, avoid making these emotional decisions while you're in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. I mean, I think if nothing else, I mean, the two Netflix films sort of show you maybe what happens if you don't and, <laughs> and the dire situations that can occur if, if, you, if you aren't able to advocate for yourself and, and don't speak up or have someone to speak for you. And so it's almost that as much as the other. I never want to discount how challenging these discussions are and right. think about the fact that one day life will end or that somebody that you love will no longer be alive. That is so hard. You know, even it if is. you're somebody that does this for a living, right? And so it's it's not to say that they're not challenging, but they're just so, so important. And so for people to have some kind of opening to thinking about it for themselves and then discussing it with the people that they love and, and maybe with their doctors as well is just so important and really helps to give you the best possible chance that you get care at the end of your life that's in line with your goals and your values and really honors the life that you've lived. Because that's what we all want, right? And that's what we all want. And it make by having this information, especially for the caregiver and, uh, the, and the care receiver, having that information up front makes a difficult situation just a little bit easier, especially after life transitions. Well, and I like what you just said there about life transitions, Chris, because I think the thing that strikes me about all three of these films, Shoshana, is that they, while they're not focused on the caregiver or the family, they're there. They're in. They're in the picture, and it, I, I, it seems to me that all of them kind of touch on the theme of after caregiving ends. I'd be curious to see what that story looks like for all of those families who are in the films who are grieving, which is a side note. I've seen both Extremis and Endgame and of course sobbed my way through both. Highly recommend. It's a good sob. A Bring good your Kleenex. Yes, for sure. 100%. Yeah, so, Shoshana, we just, uh, we could talk for hours. So maybe we'll just go ahead and do that. <laughs> Let all of our listeners know how they can learn more about you and all this wonderful information about Enwell and all the films. 
Yeah. So the, so you can learn more about me on my website, shoshanaungerleiter.com. And then of course, endwellproject.org is the nonprofit. That website has just a wealth of information, video content, ways to, to join our events and be a part of the movement. We're on every single social media channel except for TikTok. <laughs> we haven't yet. Uh, <laughs> I haven't figured that, that one out either. Yeah. At Endwell Project. And then I'm, of course, myself on Twitter at ShoshiUMD and on Instagram at ShoshanaMD. Just reach out. I we're, Our DMs are open and love hearing from people. And uh, I was going to ask you to or invite you to tell the listeners a little bit more about Take 10. I don't think we had a chance to talk about that earlier in our conversation. If you just want to give people a little summary of of that program. Yeah, so Take 10, um, which you can access off of our website, endwellproject.org, is a, uh, a day that launched on December 10th, but is available for, for, for many, many months to come where we sort of looked at the conversation around COVID-19 and how that's shifted our conversation about mortality in general, about caregiving, about access to care and health disparities, as well as grief and loss and, and the death and dying experience for so many people and features celebrities, unsung heroes, people that you would recognize and and those that you probably haven't seen before, but telling beautiful stories and, and connecting as a global community to sort of talk about the way forward um, in terms of thinking about how we can transform the, the experience of serious illness and, and caregiving, as well as grief and collective grief, of which so many of us are, are feeling that weight right now of so many lives lost to the pandemic in ways that are, you know, more human-centered and really finding community in each other. So I recommend it highly. Uh, it's free. Each segment is only about 10 minutes long. So you can sit and watch all four and a half hours of incredible content or just watch a few minutes here and there. And then I encourage you to share it on social media and share with the people that, that you love. And the idea behind the title, Take 10, is that we want people to take 10 minutes to reflect on your life to then think about the end of it. And you really have created, I mean, not just you, but of course, the amazing team that that pulled all of this together really is a beautiful, unique virtual experience. So as someone who both had to do it as part of my job, but also voluntarily participated in it, highly recommend giving it a view. Thanks, Christina. So Shoshana, thank you again for being with us uh, today. And then Chris, as always, I'm so grateful to be having these meaningful conversations with you. This is so much well, fun. Well, the- the the Chris's have it. They do. They sure do. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and we want to get that tattooed. <laughs> very good. We certainly want to encourage all of our listeners to subscribe to your new favorite podcast, How We Got Here, on all the popular podcast networks. That way, you can get notified when new podcast episodes come out. That's right, and and you've got us all covered on Twitter and Facebook and all those. Social media yeah, platforms. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, or How We Got Here Pod. And on Instagram is not at How We Got Here Pod. Do not go there. That is not us, though I'm sure those are great folks. But you can find us on the IG at HWGH The Podcast. And we can't uh, say goodbye to everybody until we thank our executive producer, Bill Odman. Thanks for, thanks thank for you, uh, putting this together for us, Bill. And Shoshana will be talking to you real soon. Thank you for having me.
we got here. Proudly sponsored by Anthem for caregiving.com and the Whole Care Network. Thank you.